Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. So today is Good Friday and it's my privilege to bring the word because it is the highlight, one of the highlights of the Christian calendar. It's the highlight of the history that established a new covenant here on planet Earth. So, Happy New Year! Today is a good day. Uh, the Germans call it Kreiftig Freitag, <laughs> Sorrowful Friday. And yes, it is a sorrowful day when we don't see the very reason why Jesus had to go through what he did. For me, in my mind, as a little girl, I used to go to the Catholic Church and do the Stations of the Cross almost every day during the 40 days of Lent prior to Good Friday. So it was incredibly sorrowful because all I had to do was go and kneel and stand and look at these very sad pictures of Jesus and these horrible people that had turned on him in his moment of need. And that became my whole perspective of Good Friday. So I thought, why do we call it Good Friday when it's such a hideously horrible day in history? And I had to see that it's not only Good Friday, it's Holy Friday, and it's God's Friday. It was the end of a new beginning. It was a culmination of prophecies from the very beginning of the book of Genesis that came into being on Good Friday. So today, you stand in a day that represents the history of God and man. Not just man. Man adopted it, but it's actually God's history. So, I had a look at the meaning of the word good. We can read it there together. The definition of the word good, and even Rain brought that out. You know, we, we, we're so inclined to believe the opposite of good. It is a desire to or approve of. It's to be approved of. That's what good is. Am I approved of? Uh, am I accepted? Do I have the qualities? Am I of a high enough standard for God to love me? Synonyms of the word good are things like fine, quality, superior, virtue, righteousness. I mean, hello? Righteousness is the same as good? It's a righteous Friday because that day, righteousness was imparted to us. We became good. Goodness, morality, ethicalness, I don't know if there's such a word, but uprightness, upstandness, integrity, principle, dignity, rightness, and many more. So when you think of Good Friday, you can think it's an amazing day of the goodness of God because he imparted all those qualities to you on Good Friday. And there's not one thing that happened at the cross right from the beginning from when he went into the garden of all, after even the Last Supper that does not apply to you and I. And I'm going to just speak about a few things this morning because we don't have long about a few things that apply to you and I that I've taken from the Stations of the Cross that became like a, a sad thing for me, but it's actually something to be celebrated. And you, if you go and you read them again, I know you're going to get so much more. If you look in the light of whatever was negative, whatever you see that is bad on Good Friday, was done because God wanted to turn it into something good for you. Okay, so we all know that Good Friday is a dawn of a better covenant. Um, it's a superior covenant that God established between you and I. 
it's a day where we moved from being servants of God to becoming children of God, having that established bloodline that Rain spoke about. I no longer have the bloodline of my mom and my dad. It's a day that I, I've just had this, such a picture in my head before I move on of, you know, like, God, you're great. You're amazing. Why did you choose such a yucky, icky way to, to save humankind? You could have done any, anything. And I just had this picture of almost like the Godhead meeting in heaven. And they had a look and they've created man and woman in the image and they're all in love with each other. Men love women and women love men and God loves them. And there's just such an intimacy between the whole lot of them. And they see how Satan has come out to the garden and beginning to deceive, bring deception. So I, it's kind of like the Godhead called like an emergency meeting. And God said, well, what do we do if these people that I've created in my image with a free will decide to choose to believe what Satan wants them to believe instead of what I've told them? And they have this meeting and Jesus says, well, what do you want? He says, well, basically the devil has to be punished. So those that follow him like the fallen angels have to be punished as well. So they're having this conversation. So Jesus says, well, if they decide to believe the devil, you can punish me instead of them. Beg volunteer, put your hand up when you don't know what's ahead of you. And then the Holy Spirit says, and if Jesus has to go to earth to die, because I know you've got to punish the devil and his works, so you've got to punish mankind and his works, then you punish Jesus, and the Holy Spirit says, I'll go take care of them thereafter. So they put this lovely little plan into being of what they're going to do. Should man and woman decide to believe the demonic in the Garden of Eden? And we all know as it goes, Eve ate the apple. She was deceived. She deceived Adam, as they say. And then they all blamed each other. Okay, nobody took responsibility for their choices. Oh, God, help me with this little thing now. Okay, let's go back to the first one. Sorry, why is it not going backwards? Maybe because I'm pushing the wrong one. Okay, so I'm going to read the scripture to you. I thought I had it written up there, but it isn't. It's in, my eyes are like needing some glasses for this tiny little font. Um, it's in Psalms 85, in verse 10, in the Passion Translation. I'm fine, thanks. Your mercy... And your truth have married each other. How's that? Your righteousness and peace have kissed. God's mercy and truth, the truth of what God wanted, and his mercy have married each other. Your righteousness, what God demanded of us was righteousness, and the peace it is going to give us have kissed. I mean, isn't that beautiful? And that's basically what happens on Good Friday. The Passover collides with God's plan. Okay, so let's go on to the first station of the cross. Now, if you were a good Catholic, you'd be doing your Hail Marys, your Our Fathers, your Glory Bees, your standing and that, and probably five times to each slide. So I say, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> that, you knocked, that I'm in a church that isn't taking something that is amazing in turning it into something powerless and religious. You may say thank you to God for that. Okay, so the first slide, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Basically, um, 
it was a whole lot of trees and orchards, and the orchard that he went into was one called the oil press. That's where he went to pray. And we all know the story of how refined as gold, it's also refined as oil. You see these bottles on the shelf, 100% pure virgin olive oil. Here, Jesus was refined as a human being. His will collided with the will of God, although I think he had that conversation before, but he had never lived in a human body before when he made that decision to come and save the world. Now he's living in a human body. I'm sure he fell, he scraped his knee, must have been nauseous sometimes, sick, flu. Somebody bumped him, it hurt. He, he realized the frailty of this human body and the, the reaction of the nervous system to pain. And here he is, like he realizes that everything that the devil has tried to put onto us, to you and me, because the devil doesn't just let us die. He didn't come just with, he, he came so that we could suffer. You can see it in the story of Job. It's like he's one of these torturers, a little bit more and a little bit more, and kick the dog while it's down. You know, he's not going to say, oh, shame, the underdog. He's going to jump all over you, and that's his job. You can't blame him, he's doing his job. But now Jesus knew that he was facing this demonic realm where every demon in the history of mankind, past, present, and future, were going to place their anger at what God had created, you and me, onto Jesus' physical body. He knew. So he had to anguish and he had to say, God, not my will, but your will, because his human will was saying, no ways. I cannot do this. So it's a place where God faced, uh, God, yes, God as Jesus faced the separation that death can cause between man and God. It's a place where God um, surrendered the human will to the God will. It's a place where we, can, we go there when we, when we become born again or before we're born again. It's where our wills are arguing with God and we're saying, I'm not going to surrender my life to you yet because I still have these fun things to do. I'm not going to surrender my will to you yet because I've still got to make a lot of money. I'm not going to, you know, it's a place where we agonize about that total surrender to God. And we think there's a, we'll put it off, we'll put it off. And here Jesus is in the garden, he's saying, can we put it off? Can it wait? Can it wait? And eventually he says, no, God. Let's just get this over and done with. And that's why it says righteousness and peace, they collided. And the anger of God and everything was satisfied. And he went through that anguish and that pain so that we know that our wills can be born again in the perfect will of God the Father. And all we have to do is say, God, it's not my will, but it's your will that's been done. Work in me. Because when we're trying to do it in our own strength, it does not happen. So that is why today is good is because he dealt with the fear of death. He dealt to return hope. He took, he took fear from us and he replaced it with faith. The next station is betrayal. I actually haven't put, um, read, I'm not reading too many scriptures, but I would love you to go read Matthew 27, John 17, all the books that around. It's just beautiful. Okay, Jesus was betrayed, and we've all experienced betrayal. If you haven't, you're a very blessed human being indeed. Because we've all either a family member, a friend, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, somebody. You know, like Satan uses people that are cl- it's closest to us. It's, uh, it sounds horrible, but it's true because 
You know, if your heart is this open, you get hurt that much. But if your heart is that open, you get hurt that much. So that's why he uses those that we love and that we're close to him. We've got an open heart because he wants to destroy us through betrayal. He wants to make us bitter and vengeful and da-da-da-da. So <laughs> we've all been through that betrayal. And Jesus felt that rejection. He felt that rejection. He felt that betrayal. How do I know? Because three times in the garden it says he went back and he said, Oh, no, guys, look, come on. Have you ever been to a party and you say, Why are you dissing me? Why are you leaving me out? I don't know what the word is today. But in my days, don't diss me. Stay with me, you know. He's like, Why are you just forgetting about me? And I'm battling right now. Why are you not here for me in my moment of need? And he was sad about Peter's denial. He was sad about Judas's betrayal because he actually says in one of the scriptures prior to Judas, he loved Judas. Despite what you might think about Judas, Jesus loved Judas. So his heart was like this. So he experienced all the pain of betrayal. But I believe what God was working in there was the sense of our identity. Like me, I loved to be in the in crowd when I was at school. It was a sense of my identity. He was dealing with identity. And he was saying, I'm going to be betrayed so you can have an identity in me forever and for eternity. That you can be identified now with the Godhead. Not with your family line, not with your friends. You are now identified. So he basically was betrayed so that he could restore our identity. Um, then the next one we find is that Jesus is accused. He has found guilty and he's condemned. I found this very interesting because Jesus didn't just stand before the courts of the Jews. He, saw, he stood before the courts of the Romans. He stood before the courts of the Jews. And he stood before what we would call a kangaroo court here on earth, like the courts of the men, men and women that just came together. And um, he stood before, before the court of the law. Moses' law judged and trialed him and found him guilty. The law of the Gentiles judged, found him guilty because he had said, no, he's the king of the Jews. Where, and then they found him guilty of saying he's the king, which meant that he was over the emperor. He was then judged by the emperor. He was judged in every way that he could be judged. The people, the Jews, the Gentiles, everybody had a little piece of him. He went back and forth. So it's called Good Friday because we can no longer be accused. Do you know that we don't ever, hear me out, have to stand before the throne room of God in the courts of heaven and be judged? Do you know that? Because Jesus stood in the courts and he was judged and found guilty on your behalf and he took your punishment upon his human body. Isn't it amazing that you're not going to die and have to go straight to the courtroom and God says, Oh, look at what you did here. That is not going to happen. Jesus did that all on your behalf. He went to every court possible in the day on our behalf. The only thing, so he basically exchanged our guilt for his righteousness. And Stephen's been preach, um, preaching on that scripture that only now your heart can condemn you. Nothing else can condemn you. The devil can't condemn you. Only you can condemn yourself. God won't condemn you. You condemn yourself. Okay, so the next one we see Jesus is whipped and he is beaten. 
This had to happen because if a covenant, God made a covenant with humankind, there had to be the shedding of blood, a new bloodline, a new promise. So this is the shedding of the blood in order for Covenant Friday and the culmination of the promises to happen. So when a person is condemned, they're found guilty, they get a sentence, and different countries have different sentences. Some are severe, some are light, some are humane, some are inhumane, and so it goes. But in those days, there was a bloodlust. And probably because they didn't have the entertainment we have. We can put on a movie and watch somebody having their nails pulled out and, you know, and it can satisfy, maybe it's more for men than women, but some women enjoy it, the bloodlust that people have. In those days, the entertainment was what was happening. And anybody who had a little bit of bloodlust made sure that they were there. They wanted a piece of this. And, you know, it was hectic because... A mob mentality took over after Jesus was whipped. So that would have been a little bit more orderly. He would have had his whipping by one person. But a mob mentality took over and everybody wanted a piece of him. The Bible says that there were 600 soldiers in the room and they were all vying to punch him and hit him and pull him. I mean, how's that? And the Bible says they were so aggressive with him that by the time he was ready to be crucified, He wasn't even recognized as a human being. He was a lump of flesh. Jesus himself, just his flesh walked to the cross. Because that's what the Bible says actually happened. And what I see here is all the hate, all the anger of mankind, of the demonic, was placed upon Jesus' body. And then he says over there, after this happens, he says, it's good because now my future, the future generations, that's also beautiful if you read the beautiful prayer he prayed just before he goes into the Passover meal and to the cross. It's just a prayer with you and I on his heart that we are going to have a future that's established and wonderful and beautiful. Go read that just before the Last Supper. And he sees us like he says, I am going to be broken so that the future people that come to me are going to be whole. I am going to be broken so they're going to have nothing missing. They can walk healed. And this whole new covenant of healing was established with men and women through the shedding of his blood. There we see that Jesus carries his cross. And this is such a beautiful picture. What, what is a cross? We use it as a symbol when we talk of a burden. Okay? Don't carry that cross. Oh, put that cross down. Have we ever spoken like that to each other? Here we see that Jesus is carrying his cross. The Catholics say he fell three times. I found no recollection of that at all, okay? But what I did find was um, as he exited the gates of Jerusalem, and I think this is a beautiful prophetic picture, the Romans instructed Simon, who was an African Jew, to come and carry the cross on Jesus' behalf. He wasn't asked. He didn't offer. He was instructed. He was commanded to carry the cross on Jesus' behalf. And I just feel it's such a beautiful prophetic picture of where Jesus now instructs us, he commands us to pass our burdens onto him. He commands us, he instructs us to put anxiety and heaviness and depression on him. He wants to carry a cross on your behalf. You're not called to carry a cross. 
It doesn't make God happy because you have a burdened, heavy, hard life. In fact, it makes him very unhappy because he says, Hey, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Come to me. Let me help you. So if you're going to carry it, he actually gets depressed. He thinks, what the heck did I do that for? It's like almost you're denying him something that he really wanted to do for you. So we have to learn to give our crosses to him because he wants us to be burden-free and anxiety-free. And that's why it's called Good Friday. Then the next one I've got here is Jesus being nailed to the cross. It's almost like his captivity for my freedom. He satisfied God's anger against the world, mankind, humankind, whatever you want to call it, by becoming the final sacrifice. Do you know a lot of blood was shed at each Passover each year by the Jewish nation? Can you just imagine all these poor little lambies? And somebody catching them between their legs and stretching their throats and putting them on the fire and the priest just covered in blood. It must have been a very gory, a gory time. And it's almost like Jesus was captured like this lamb and he was nailed to the cross. Keep still, you stupid man. You, you know, it's like he was captured. He, he couldn't have moved. I mean, the Bible actually says that, you know, eventually they broke the legs of the guys on crosses because Jesus wasn't the only man to die on the cross. But he was probably one of the only that was tortured and beaten to such an extent before being put on the cross. Normally, just the cross was your punishment in itself. And so they normally broke the leg so that the person couldn't push themselves up to take a breath and then down again. So what happened was, um, why did I even say that? Sorry, that's my train of thought. It happens. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like he was in such a place of captivity where he couldn't even take a breath, you know, because he was so captured and nailed to this cross. The Bible also says that he was offered a wine and vinegar and what's that suffocant bowel mix. Basically, I looked that up. It basically was made of poppy seed. And um, poppy seed was there to take the edge off of the pain. And as Jesus tested it and he knew that it was going to take the edge off of his pain, he said, no, I'm not going to drink this. Because he had to face what was happening to him with a sober mind, fully human and fully in his spirit. I mean, I know when I had a baby, and I think the closest to having a baby is passing a gallstone or a kidney stone. They say it's just as painful. I mean, come on, bring on those meds, babe, you know. (laughs) I want to be in a different world when this is happening. And he actually just rejected this. He became the ultimate sacrifice for you and I. He died in our place. He was captive so that we can be free. And that's why it's called Good Friday. It's because he was our freedom. He paid for our freedom. The Bible actually says that God now promises that he'll never be angry with you again. You read it in the book of Isaiah. I promise I will never be angry with you again. Do you know God can never be angry with you again? I mean, that's huge. Then the next one I've got over here is Jesus surrenders his spirit. Um, yeah. You know, look, when I have pain, it's all about me. 
when Jesus had pain, it was all about others. First, forgive them. He thought about Mary. He thought about, Pierre, you know, the disciples that were around him, look after each other. And, you know, I mean, I can, I'm like, if I'm on a cross and I'm a lump of meat, <laughs> it's like, oh, help me, you know. But a few things, as Jesus surrendered his spirit, a few things that happened, which are so symbolic and so important, and Terry brought it up, is the temple curtain was torn in two. Earlier on, you see that a high priest tore his robe in two. It was a picture of what was going to happen. The temple was torn in two. The presence of God became accessible again. The presence of God that was only for the priests became accessible to you and me. Should we desire now to go into the presence of God? And that is huge because before that, you had to go through your priest to speak to God. I mean, even the Catholic Church today, there's a little veil between you and the priest and as you confess. It's such a picture of the old covenant of man, a veil and man and representing you. You can go directly into the presence of God. No permission needed. Another thing that happened, which I thought was incredibly significant, is that there was an earthquake. Oh, who saw those lightning last night? Oh my gosh, how long did it go on for? Hours. Did you see it? If you didn't see it, it'll probably be some. It was the most spectacular light show that I have ever seen. I didn't even have to pay for it. I'm serious. It was like, oh my gosh, the day before Good Friday, it was almost like the, as if signs were being written in the sky and just going on and on and on. Eventually, we got bored of watching it. That's how long it went on for. It wasn't just a quick little glimpse. Go look on, I'm sure people would have loaded on Facebook. We've got a couple of videos. It was just phenomenal. But anyway, on this day, 2,000 years ago, an earthquake happened as Jesus surrendered his spirit. The Bible says the earth turned dark and it began to shake. And as it shook, the temple curtain tore. But it says that the dead, people that were dead, kaput, rotten, that were good men and women, rose from the dead. And they walked amongst the people for months after the death of Jesus. Not just one of them, the dead. And it's such a picture of him saying, whatever is dead inside of you is going to rise and walk again. You don't have to remain kaput and rutting in your fruitless mind that is telling you that you are over, that you are finished. The dead who were good. And there are people here today who are, here you're alive, but you are actually dead. And God wants to shake you. He wants to shake every part of you and say, I am going to make you alive again if you just trust in me. And the whole earth shook. And that is why it's called Good Friday, is because this is why it's Good Friday. Jesus looked ahead. He saw you and me, and he saw us walking in the promises that he had for us. Then the last station of the cross, and I'm doing pretty well with time, pat myself on the back, Jesus is placed in a tomb, and then so many things happen there. I mean, he was placed in the tomb on Friday, he rose again on Monday. Monday is such a beautiful symbol of a new beginning, new week. It's a little, little bit of like a mini new year. Hey? People often say, 
on Monday, I will start my diet. On Monday, I will go to gym. On Monday, I will. So it's like a little bit of a mini new year. It was a picture of such new beginnings. And um, basically, he was put into this cave. And do you know, so many things happen in this cave. I mean, like you think he just lay there sleeping. The Bible speaks about him going and he went into the into Sheol, which is like hell. He basically confronted the demonic. He, he basically went and then he preached the gospel to the dead. Hello? Jesus preached the gospel to the spirits of the dead so that they too could believe in what he had done. He then takes the keys, because it wouldn't have been fair for them, hey? If he didn't do that, he then takes the keys of life and death back from the demonic realm. He doesn't just give them back to God or to himself or to the Holy He gives them to us. It's such an amazing picture of the restoration of the authority of human beings as God created us to be and walk on this earth. In his authority. We are his representation. The same spirit in him is in me. As he is in this world, so am I. I have the keys, and Jesus got that for me. Between now and Easter Sunday. <laughs> so let me just read this scripture in closing. I don't know if it's written up. Um, okay, let's just read this. Just a little bit on the Via Della Rosa that's walking in Jesus' footsteps quickly. Uh Religion will tell you to walk in his footsteps to go retrace where he went on Good Friday. And do you know it's a 20 billion rand industry in Israel for Christians to go just walk in his footsteps? We are not called to imitate him. We are called to participate in him. At the Last Supper, he says, when you break this blood, when you drink this blood and you break this body, you are participating in what I am about to do. Now, we would have had communion today, but we're going to do it on Sunday because I think it's far more of a celebration of what he has actually done for us. So we are called not just to walk like the Via Della Rosa in the footsteps of Jesus to Golgotha, but we are called to participate in his life, in his death, his burial, and on Sunday, his resurrection. I just want to read a scripture in closing here. Um, Galatians 3 verse 23. It says, So until the revelation of faith, whose faith? Jesus Christ, faithful salvation. It's not the law that is now saving you. So, so until the revelation of faith for salvation was released. His spirit was released on Friday so that a faith for salvation, the very first thing Jesus did when he went down into the bowels of the earth is he released salvation over the spirits of the dead and humankind. The law was a jailer. It used to hold you captive to that bloodline, hold you captive to the lies. He held us as prisoner under lock and key until the faith, which is Jesus, which was destined to be revealed, would set us free. And today is Good Friday because it's a day that freedom comes to you and me. 
It is a day that we remember everything that Jesus did for us. Every step he took was not just because he had to or because the people told him to. It was a symbol of what he wanted for us. So let me just declare that freedom of you. If you could just stand and raise your hands. Because Jesus did a beautiful thing. And the first thing he had to do was surrender his will to the will of the Father. If you're not born again and you're haggling in your body and your spirit and your mind, I'm not good enough, I'm going to put it off. You have to come to that place where you say to God the Father, not my will, but your will be done. I surrender my will to you. If you're in that place where you just feel like you being betrayed or accused, felt guilty, trialed, condemned, trampled, beaten. If you feel like you're in a place where you're carrying a burden that you're not made to carry, God says, surrender it to me. The same way as Jesus surrendered his spirit, you need to surrender who you are to God the Father in order to walk in his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, and his love. He, for he has forgiven you, and I want to say you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Every sin you've ever committed, past, I forgive you. Jesus, God the Father, has forgiven you. Every sin into your future has been forgiven. Jesus paid the ultimate price. You no longer have to pay a price. Otherwise, you are saying you are better than him if you feel that you can. He paid the price. Don't think that you can. You can never afford to be like God. You can never become like God. It is a supernatural transference from the spirit realm into the natural realm of God the Holy Spirit who changes you into somebody who's free, somebody who is burden-free, somebody who has authority here on earth and is no longer a victim. You are not a victim. So right now, I just want to release the promises, all those promises that were bought at the cross, that were bought through Jesus' death and suffering. I just release that promises of life, of healing, of victory right over these people today in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, that it's Good Friday because it's a righteous day where the righteousness of heaven is imparted to us. I thank you, Father, for your righteousness. I thank you, Father, that I am not good in your eyes because of Good Friday. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.